Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, as we deal with a difficult subject, I pray that you would help us to examine our lives. Lord, help us to seek to follow you in every area of our lives. Lord, as we look at the subject of of temptation and sexual sin, I pray that you would help us to recognize the gravity of this sin, gravity of temptation in general, and Lord, that we would strive to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every single one of us battles temptation every day. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan desires to cause you to fall, to to ruin your testimony for Christ, to destroy relationships. Everyone struggles with temptation, and, and it's interesting as you look throughout Scripture, you will see that the heroes of the Bible struggle with temptation and they fell with devastating falls. Just a few examples. Noah, he obeyed God in and, and standing alone to build an ark. Yet if you read those next pages after the story of the ark, we see that Noah had some very ungodly actions. Abraham. Abraham left his country to follow God, but he could not trust God to protect him from Pharaoh. Elijah stood boldly against 450 prophets of Baal, but ran in fear from Queen Jezebel. Peter, he was willing to die and eventually did die for Jesus Christ, but he wouldn't admit that he was Christ's follower when questioned by a servant girl. Each and every one of us struggles with temptation. And there are times in each and every one of our lives when we fail. We need to understand Satan's temptation. You see, Satan takes what God has created, what God has made, and he distorts that. Satan takes a good gift but he causes us to use it in a wrong way. And when we do that, that's destructive. Everything that God has created is good. 1 Timothy 4.4 But Satan has created nothing, and everything he does is this distortion of, of what God has created. God created work, but being a workaholic is bad. God created food, but too much or too little is bad. God created sex, but outside of the bond of marriage... It's bad. In this morning's message, we're going to look at the life of David. And we find that that David fell to Satan's distortion, and there were devastating effects in his life as well as the lives of many people around him. In 1 Samuel 11, we, we find the story of David failing in the temptation of adultery with Bathsheba and then covering it up by murdering her husband, Uriah. Now, his son of sin of adultery and murder began with some things that, that he maybe could rationalize. He could say, well, that's no big deal, or everyone around me is doing it. But they led to disaster. And there are steps in falling to temptation. 
And we will see that there were some things that he did, some things that he allowed in his life that set him up for adultery and murder. We see that David was in the wrong place. He was in his palace when he should have been in a tent. Notice what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. It says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. He was in the wrong place. He was in his palace when he should have been in a tent. Now in the previous chapter, we find David with his army where he should have been if you go back to chapter 10. His responsibility was to lead the army, but instead in chapter 11 here, he sends Joab out to do the job that David was responsible for. So in chapter 10, he was where he should have been. Now he is where he should not have been. We have to understand we cannot expect God's protection when we are out of his will. Romans 13, 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to lusts. We don't set ourselves up to sin. We need to consider ways to protect ourselves when we recognize in these certain situations, in these certain places, with these certain people, we are tempted to sin. We need to protect ourselves from that sin. In dealing with sexual sin, what about your computer or your phone? Being in a place, in a situation, in a circumstance where... It is so much easier to fall to temptation. Not only do we see David was in a palace when he should have been in a tent, we see David was complacent when he should have been diligent. He was complacent when he should have been diligent. He was enjoying a time of prosperity and relaxation as the nation of Israel flourished. And at that time, he let his guard down. I came across a quote by a musician named Lecrae, and it's very interesting. It says, people do not drift toward growth and discipline. We tend to drift toward complacency. I I want to challenge you to examine in your life, when have you been most vulnerable to falling? It's not when you're diligent and disciplined. It's when you let your guard down, when you're complacent. Oftentimes when things are going well, we are have in the greatest vulnerable spot. He was in the palace when he should have been in a tent. He was complacent when he should have been diligent. And he was confident in himself when he should have been trusting God. We often give ourselves more credit in our ability to handle temptation than we should. We think that we can handle it. Notice what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. It says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And you'll notice there's the he there. It's it's our. We're, We're standing. We have the strength. But then go on in verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except this is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. 
but you recognize it's God's strength, God's power, God's deliverance. And we see that that David had been weak in his response to sexual temptation over the years. Satan knows exactly where we're vulnerable, whether it's in sexual temptation or other areas of our life. Deuteronomy chapter 17, the nation of Israel did not have a king at that time, but, but God was warning them about what would take place in the future and some warnings to kings that would be to come. And you see, if you read Deuteronomy 17, you see that the kings were not to collect horses, they were not to collect treasure, and they were not to collect wives. And you have to understand the culture there. And David did very well in not collecting horses. In fact, it says that he reduced the number of horses. And treasure was not an area that we read of him struggling to a great extent. We see that, for instance, as we saw with Mephibosheth last week, that that he was willing to give up things that he had. If you read later on as he was preparing for the building of the temple when his son Solomon was going to do that during his lifetime, David was collecting things in preparation and David gave greatly out of his own treasure for that. But he struggled with the wives. In 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 13 it says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. We see that David struggled in this area. And we have to understand that temptation doesn't go from, from being completely godly to falling miserably. It usually involves a series of steps in our lives. The world tells us that it's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. We need to gratify ourselves. But as we allow temptation to take control, we find that the lust will grow, not diminish. David had been making incorrect choices when it came to his relationships, and here we find another wrong choice. And we get to this wrong choice. We see that David lusted when he should have listened. Look at verses 2 and 3, 2 Samuel 11. It says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof to the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now it's important to understand here that God gave David a warning. You'll notice there at the end of verse 3, it said that is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And I picture this servant there in David's household. He didn't have the, the fortitude to say, David, don't do it, it's wrong. But he did give a little bit of a warning. He said, David, this is Uriah's wife. Hint. Think about what you're doing. Godly counsel. 
We need godly counsel in our lives. We need accountability in our lives. Whatever the temptation is that you struggle with, have people around you that can give you godly counsel. Have people around you that will challenge you to do right. But David lusted when he should have listened, and we see also that David reached out when he should have run. Notice verse 4. It says, Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came into him, and he lay with her. David's action was the exact opposite of that of Joseph when he ran out from Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce him. If you remember the story from, from Genesis, you'll see that Joseph was working in Potiphar's house. He had been sold to the, to the slave traders and then sent to Egypt, and he was serving there in Potiphar's house. But Potiphar's wife desired to have a relationship with Joseph. And, it, and it's interesting, you watch... Up until that time, Joseph was very careful not to put himself in a situation where things could go wrong. But one day, it was just him and her in the house. And she said, Joseph, come and lay with me. And what did Joseph do? It says that Joseph left everything and ran. But we see here that David made the opposite choice. And then we see that David covered up when he should have confessed. 2 Samuel 11, verses 6-9 through 9 says, Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So we see this. David actually had more than one cover-up plan. This was plan 1A. So, so David found out that the lady that he committed adultery with was pregnant, so he calls her husband in from the battlefield. Uriah, who was out at the battle where David should have been. But he calls Uriah back. And he, and he asks for a report on the battle. Trying to make it look sort of natural what was going on. And, and if you notice in the verse, so he, so he calls Uriah in and then he says, hey, go ahead and go home. And he sends food to Uriah's house so that, so that Uriah and Bathsheba could have a, a romantic dinner and a nice evening. But what does Uriah do? says that Uriah didn't even go home. He slept at the doorway of the palace with the servants. He recognized where he should be. He should be out in a tent with his fellow soldiers fighting the Ammonites. And David's special meal went unused, but his plan was foiled. 
That was plan 1A, so he had, he had plan 1B, another cover-up. So the next day, he tried to add to it. The romantic dinner and the opportunity for an evening with his wife didn't work, so he said, I'm going to get him drunk. And when he's drunk, maybe he won't have the integrity as he did last night. So David gets him drunk. But Uriah would still not go home. It's interesting, I think Uriah had more character drunk than David, David did sober. So David's plans didn't work. So he had to come up with another one. And this plan, David determined to have Uriah killed. So he sent Uriah back to the army, back to the battlefield, and he sent Uriah's death orders to Joab by Uriah's own hand. Uriah's integrity once again shines. David wasn't concerned that uh, Uriah would take a peek at the orders that David was sending to Joab, orders to have Uriah killed in battle. But Uriah delivers the note to Joab. Joab reads David's plot and agrees with it. And Uriah is killed. And David thinks that things are covered up. But we see some results. And we must recognize the results of sin. Of any sin. Whether it be sexual sin or, or other sins in our lives. We won't change if we don't consider the results. What are some of the results here? We see that David's sin led to the sin of others. We can think that our sin won't affect anyone else, but that's a lie from Satan. David's sin affected Bathsheba as she become, became implicated in the adultery, and also Joab as he was involved in the murder. Notice what it says in 2 Samuel 11, verses 14 through 16. It says, In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Both Bathsheba and Joab became involved in David's sin. But not only did it cause others to sin, we see that David, David's sin affected other innocent lives. Verse 17 says this, Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people of the servants of David fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. David and other soldiers were killed because of the cover-up strategy put in action by King David. And as you read down, you'll see that the baby, Bathsheba's baby, also died. But we see another result, and that's that David's relationship with God was damaged. While David's sin had a great impact on other people, it also caused great damage in his relationship with God. Psalm 51, verse 4. 
David's psalm as he asks for God's forgiveness. A psalm of repentance. Notice what it says in Psalm 51.4. It says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David recognized that his sin caused division in his relationship with God. And the devastating effect of sin upon our relationship with others, but also on our most important relationship, our relationship with God. But fortunately, the story doesn't end there. We turn the page to chapter 12, and we find confrontation, but we also find hope. We see confession and repentance. David didn't change directions on his own. But with the prodding of God through the prophet Nathan, we see that David changed his, recognized his sin, he changed his course. And chapter 12 begins with, with David and Nathan talking. And Nathan tells a story, a word picture, to paint the story of David's sin. They're chatting, and Nathan tells of a, of a very wealthy man who had many flocks and herds, and he had company come. And when company came, instead of taking some of his own or one of his own animals to prepare it, he takes the lamb, the only lamb of a poor neighbor. And he takes that, that lamb, and prepares it for the feast for his company. And David hears this story and he is incensed. How dare that man do that to that poor neighbor? David is incensed, ready to take action against the rich man in the story. But then Nathan said, David... You are the man. And, and I sort of picture it a bony finger. And I have no idea what Nathan's fingers were like or if he actually pointed at him. But he said, David, you're the guy. Now, a couple things, a couple side notes here. One is, is oftentimes when, when we have to confront, it's very difficult but I love how Nathan did this. He used a word picture. It's a great way to paint what's going on. But we also see that David needed a challenge. And Nathan humbly challenged him. In Galatians chapter 6, it tells us that we need to challenge that person who is sinning, but we do it humbly, recognizing that we can fall just as they have. And we need to be a good friend, a good spouse, a good sibling, a good workmate. And we need to speak the truth in love. 
But another thing is that, that it's really easy to become angry, to become incensed when someone else sins. But to not recognize or confess our own sin. It's really easy to say, oh, did you see what so-and-so did? How awful. But in our own life, we rationalize. But we see hope in chapter 12 because David responded with confession and repentance to confess. Confess means to admit our sin. Confession literally means that we agree with God about our situation. God, you're right. (laughs) I sinned. I'm sure that David had many excuses, many, many ways that he could rationalize his actions. That maybe they weren't that bad or they weren't that important. I mean, he lived in a culture where it was rampant. Just like us. And God, you have to understand everybody else is doing, or or just a little bit isn't bad. What is rationalization? Rationalization is allowing my mind to believe what my spirit knows is wrong. David could rationalize, but deep down he knew what he had done was wrong. We need to recognize and acknowledge our sin. Psalm 51, the first three verses. We read verse 4 a little earlier, but the first three verses. Notice how David is recognizing and acknowledging his sin. He says this, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David confessed. Step one in restoring that relationship with God is to recognize and acknowledge our sin, to confess it to God. And then as we confess it to God, if there's other people that we have hurt, we need to confess it to them. But be careful in how you do that. But it didn't stop at confession. There was another aspect, and that was repentance. Repent means to change direction. Romans 6.19 tells us that we, need to be, that we need to change from slaves of impurity to slaves of righteousness. Psalm 51.17, again, in that psalm of David's confession and repentance, we see verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51.17. We can apologize, but if we don't change direction, we're going to end up in the same place. We've all been on both sides of this cycle, haven't we? The person that's doing the apologizing and the person who's being apologized to, where it happens and it goes and happens again and again and again and again and again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
But we need to not just apologize, we need to change direction. And then we need to put ourselves in circumstances where we can change direction through God's strength for God's glory. A change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior. And we see that, that David confessed and he repented. We can also rejoice in God's forgiveness and grace. There are consequences to the sin. We saw the results for David's, the people around David, Bathsheba and Joab and Uriah and the other soldiers who were killed in the battle, the baby that was born and then died. And in David's relationship with God that was greatly damaged because of his sin, his adultery, and his murder. And if you read the next part, you'll see that, that not only that, but that there would be battles within David's family. And we read later on, and we'll look at it here in a couple weeks, where David's own son turned against him and led a coup to take over the kingship. But while there are consequences, we also see God's forgiveness and grace. We've been singing about that this morning. David wrote Psalm 86. And listen to what he says in Psalm 86 in verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. David could say, God, you're ready to forgive yeah, there's hurt, there's consequences to the choice that I made, to the sin I committed. But I am so grateful, God, for your grace and your forgiveness. 2 Samuel 12, verse 13, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5, it says, For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. Now we know there are other times that David sinned. In fact, we talked about that. But we see that God could still use David. When David got things straightened out, when he confessed and repented, when he changed directions, God could use him again. So this morning as we close, and yes, this is a difficult subject, and we've looked at temptation in general, but one of the strongest temptations, especially for men, is dealing with sexual sin. Women also, but especially men. And Satan wants to destroy you. Question or challenge number one is this. Take steps to protect yourself from temptation. We will all be tempted, and being tempted is not sin. 
but yielding to temptation is. And so often we put ourselves in such a vulnerable position that falling into sin is so easy. What are you going to do to protect yourself from that temptation? Whether it's sexual sin or take any other area. And then when you see it coming, run. Joseph's story had a much happier ending than David's in relation to sexual sin. But a second part is this. What about, you say, you know, John, I've messed up. Pornography, adultery, whatever it is. God desires to forgive. Yes, there's consequences. There's pain. But God wants to forgive. You need to confess. Agree with God about the situation. God, you are right. I have sinned. And then repent. Change of our mind that leads to a change of behavior. To change my direction. Can you do that? And if you can, you can say with David, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, although it's such a hard story, there are many things we can learn. And Lord, the things that we looked at this morning, I pray that that each of us would use those words of wisdom from your powerful word to resist temptation and to seek forgiveness when we fall. And Lord, we will give you the glory for what you will do in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.